0: An abusive Democratic politician and an inside view as Joe Biden gears up for the re-election campaign. This is Beyond Politics. I'm your host, Paul Hodes, with my co-host, Matt Robeson. We're podcast wherever you find your podcast, and we're on YouTube on the Blue Amp. A bombshell story dropped in Politico today on Marianne Williamson and her abuse of staff and the people around her. It features comments from 12 former staffers and a soul on the record quote from one source. That's me. And we wanted to understand more about what it's like to put a story together like that. But we also wanted to take the chance to bring our viewers and listeners one of the top White House reporters as Joe Biden gears up for another presidential campaign. Lauren Egan was previously a White House reporter for NBC News. Now, she's a lead reporter for the West Wing playbook team for Politico. Lauren Egan, welcome to Beyond Politics. Thank you for having me. I want to get a little bit of the backstory for our listeners and viewers. How do you report a story like the Williamson story that just came out that relies on multiple sources who stay on background. And do you and your editors have different standards for stories like that? How is that vetted? And how critical was it to your story to get an on-the-record corroboration, like from me?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I will peel back the curtain a little bit on this one. As you mentioned, I normally cover the White House. And how we came to the story in the first place was in our playbook, a newsletter a few weeks ago, we did a question and answer with Marianne, just asking her about her plans to run again in 2024, why she doesn't think Biden would be the right person. And we got a lot of responses to that question and answer we did with her. A lot of people from the 2020 campaign reached out to our tip line saying that we needed to look into her treatment of staff. So that's how it starts. And then from there, it's just picking up the phone, calling as many people as we can to talk to them about um, how she treated her staff in 2020. And it's a long process. It requires us to sit down. We have a whole standards team at Politico that goes with you line by line to make sure you've got all the facts right. We have lawyers here that look at these stories too. So it requires weeks of work, hours and hours of interviews with people. And we didn't print anything that at least a few people were saying happened on the 2020 campaign. Yeah. So it's a lot of work to make sure that we're corroborating this all properly.
2: Let me ask you a question as a former staffer about how you weigh a story like this one in terms of how significant and newsworthy it is, because there's a rich American tradition of political leaders being jerks to their staff to the people around them, but at the same time having effective political careers where the voters return them to office over and over again, and they can be long tenured and relatively celebrated either as legislative or executive branch. LBJ is maybe the most famous one. He was he was celebrated for being for how abusive he was, but even recent retiree, Senator Barbara Mikulski, who is lauded as a very effective legislator. Look, the word among staffers was, if you go to work for Senator Mikulski, if she's sitting at her desk, if you step into her office, don't step on the Senate seal on the carpet in her office Not because it's a disrespect to the Senate, it's because that marks the outside of her stapler throwing range. And this is, there's a lot of politicians like this. Amy Klobuchar, there were a lot of stories about her, which I can verify, by the way, from my own background in my network. So how do you think about something like this? Is this really relevant for people? Does it matter?
1: Yeah, I think especially with women, it can be particularly sensitive. Look, I think there's been a bit of a culture shift in the past few years. I don't think that this kind of story is something that people cared about even just 10, 15 years ago. And that's really started to change where there seems to be a little bit of a different standard for how our elected officials treat People in their when the cameras aren't rolling and when they're not in front of a gaggle of reporters. And I do think, especially here at Politico, we do cover a lot of like insidery type stuff. And I think it matters for the campaign staffers, you know, how I explained this when I was talking to people about this story was anytime that you are Asking someone to give over resources, whether that's you're going to go out there and ask people to donate money to your campaign, you're going to ask people to leave their current jobs to come work for you, or to just give up some free time to volunteer for you. I think people have the right to know exactly what they're getting themselves into and should know who that person is and all aspects of them. But yeah, I do think it's an interesting question. I think, especially with the Amy Klobuchar story, I think that really started to mark a bit of a shift in terms of how we report on these things and the weight we give them when we're out there doing stories.
2: And you were sensitive right in your story to the gender aspect of this, to the fact that we're talking about a female political leader. And there is a sensitivity around that because with good reason, there's a sense that female leaders are viewed and treated differently. And the kind of behavior that elicit a shrug from men gets a closer scrutiny when it comes to women.
1: Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And look, there there are more stories out there about women and how they're not good bosses than men. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't cover them or that those stories shouldn't be told. It doesn't mean we should hold them to a lesser standard. It probably also means that we need to be out there talking about what men are also doing this to, to their staffers as well. But it doesn't mean that you create a different sort of standard for how people should be treated when they're working in these situations. And again. This is also why it was so important for us to have at least a dozen people that were talking about this experience. I think the more examples you can get, the better. And in the story, we also go back to examples of back in the 90s when she was first becoming really pot. Her first book came out and there's staffers from her business side that were quoted back then as calling her a tyrant. So when you have that kind of pattern that goes back 30 years, that also helps you get to a place where you feel comfortable enough to report it.
0: One one of the, I was a colleague, essentially, of Amy Klobuchar when I was in Congress. I knew a number of my colleagues, frankly, mostly male, who were really nutcases when it came to the way they treated their staff. I remember I had a, I think I, I had somebody who either worked on my campaign or was a former staffer who went to work for a colleague and the guy was throwing chairs at him. I mean, things are, and that member of Congress eventually got taken down. Believe me, he went down big time. And in in this case, I, after this story came out, Lauren, I actually was called by a reporter who said it's ironic in this case that you have somebody who's preaching love and is reported to be abusing Hearst. Is this ironic? And I said, it's not, irony is one word, but it's really, it was shocking behavior. At least the descriptions that you put in your article and asked me to confirm, and my experiences were frankly shocking. And gender, aside, the effectiveness aside, so that one of the questions I have is, what kind of person do you want with their finger on the nuclear button? Okay, what kind of person do you want in a position of high stress? Because politics and governing is high stress. I think it's a relevant, I think it's a relevant and important question to understand who that person is and how they handle stress.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it's a question that people brought up with Donald Trump. It's a question that people ask every election cycle. And I'll let people read the article and come to their own conclusions about how Marianne would handle such stressful situations. That's that's a key part of what you have to communicate and demonstrate to voters, right? That's what an election is all about, that when we're in a in a tough place as a nation when there's a crisis going on that you can handle it and you can handle it with uh, keeping your head up and uh, that you're going to be able to deliver. And so even though it's not like anyone thinks that Marianne Williamson has a real shot at winning this 2024 nomination. She's still running, and it's still a question that deserves to be examined as we get into this election cycle.
0: So let me take you over to the your White House beat, and uh, we're going to zoom up to 30,000 feet. You covered the Biden White House from the beginning at NBC. You've now, You're now at Politico have you noticed any evolution in the White House approach over the first two years? This is obviously a White House with one of the most Washington experienced presidents in the last 50 years, at least since George H.W. Bush. Has, has the president and his team been evolving as you've taken a look at this?
1: Yeah, I think that sort of just where we are in the political cycle has almost forced them to evolve a bit. These first two years of his presidency was just an enormous amount of really game-changing legislation was passed. And we're in a different phase right now, right? They no longer have control of the House. They've still got a very majority, but a narrow majority in the Senate. So what defined those first few years of his presidency, these big moments, those aren't going to be there now. It's going to be much more political, and you're going to see, we've seen them really try and rely on what they've already done to carry them into what we are expecting will be Biden's re-election, although we are still eagerly awaiting said announcement. Um, And so I think that, yeah, that by nature, that's forced them to think a little bit differently and operate a bit differently in Washington and in the White House. Their whole thing has always been the press. Everyone underestimates Joe Biden. And I think we're going to continue to hear that narrative as we get into an election cycle.
2: Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. On Saturday, the playbook headline, this may have been your colleague Eli, who came up with it, I'm not sure, was a delicious pun. It was Biden's crude move to the center talking about the the drilling announcement. Chef's kiss there. It it highlighted the fact that he has made some recent moves. He uh, made the decision on asylum when it comes to immigration. And the lead this morning in this morning's playbook was January and February. Since then, the number of border crossings is down sharply. The D.C. crime bill, he sided with Republicans. And now this Alaska drilling move, it does raise the question of whether Biden is triangulating. I'm air quoting for our audio listeners here, meaning the Clinton-esque positioning from the 90s where you try to put yourself in the middle and seem above the Is he triangulating?
1: Yeah, I think that when we talk about getting into a political cycle, that's exactly it. They're very sensitive to how they're going, looking on crime, immigration, for sure. I know that caught a lot of advocates flat-footed. They were very surprised by what this administration has done by that. And then the most recent thing with the drilling with the Willow Project, um, I think that was also what came as a big surprise to a lot of advocates and activists out there. And, yeah, I think that this is a White House that is incredibly sensitive and incredibly attuned to what the political climate is out there. And you have to remember where we are right now, everything that the White House does, every decision is made through the prism of twenty twenty four and a reelection. And that's it's as simple as that when you peel back some of these decisions, that that's where it is.
0: I, I ran into some of my lefty, progressive friends, my my strong enviros yesterday. And uh, over a beer, they were, celebrating what biden had done in the past and bemoaning the alaska drilling saying oh what where does this leave us what are we going to do well, we thought he had, he had defied our expectations and he was just so good for us and now look at what he's done what are we going to do and i said stop whining and suck it up and deal if you want him to get reelected he's going to have to he's going to have to make some of these moves and i with all due respect to my democratic co- friends they just don't get politics they want it all and they want it all all the time wasn't it so, the slogan that we were workshopping for the democratic
2: party the we Democrats, want it all we just all don't get time. politics
0: we just don't get it that's right. Yeah. That's what I had to worry about when I was running was not from the right. I could handle them. It was from the left. What am I going to do about the Democrats who are whining about why I'm supporting Obama on this and that and the other? It was it's just the way of the world. So here now, here's a question in 2024. You ran a piece recently about Joe Biden's polling strategy this time around. And for us, it was this weird cook's tour of previous guests we've had on the show, talking about whether our old friend John Anzalone would once again be the lead pollster, or if another recent guest, Jeff Pollack, would take more of a... Or whether Navin Nayak, another guest on the show, have been influential in the more aggressive White House strategy and defining and going after MAGA Republicans. So what's going on? Who's on first? What's on second? What's the story? And what does it tell us about Biden's strategy for 2024? Is he now a piñata? Is he now, and is he looking for polling pinatas, swinging left, swinging right, trying to stay in the center? What's up?
1: I can't tell you how many people ask me questions about 2024 and who's going to be in what role, who's going to be the campaign manager. I think that is the big question in D.C. right now. And even in the White House, you have a lot of people who want to go and join the re-election campaign, but they're look, I don't know what's going on. Do I have a job on this re-election campaign? Is it happening? When is it going to happen? So a lot of big question marks about literally every single staffing position right now and what that is going to shape up to be. I think all we really know is that the White House comm shop, people like Anita Dunn are really going to be the ones leading a lot of this um, reelection strategy again, I should say expected reelection because um, the White House would say he's not announced yet. But I think that there's a lot of anxiety about what's going to, how this is gonna shape up to be. We don't even know yet where he's going to locate his reelection campaign. We did a story a few months ago about how a lot of DC staffers were saying, please don't let it be Wilmington. We don't wanna move to Wilmington, Delaware. I think it's probably gonna end up being Wilmington and I look forward to all of us spending a lot of time in Wilmington these next few years. But I think on the question of the pollsters, one of the things that the White House will tell you too is that the Republicans have had a really hard time turning him into this boogeyman Even though he's had some tough polls over the past few months, if you look on the Hill at a lot of these investigations that we were all expecting to really blow up, they haven't really hit. They haven't stuck. And I think that's something that the White House views as very promising and that no matter what attacks the Republicans will launch at the White House and at Biden, they've just really had a tough time getting anything to break through, at least so far.
2: So they're going to default to he's old. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right, that seems... Much um, like if they
1: have a Ron DeSantis, I guess that could work, but they could have a Donald Trump who is right behind Biden in terms of age.
2: In uh, a lot of ways, one might say, all right, take us inside, inside. I have to say that when I've been to the White House, boy, that was like, that sounded like a humble brag there. I Sorry, that, that <laughs> came off terribly. When I've been to the White House, on the limited number of times where I've had the privilege of going to the White House, I've been shocked. It's, oh, wow, this is a lot smaller than I pictured it on TV. It's a house. There.
0: It's a house. It's
2: a house. Exactly. You're there all the time. What's your favorite behind the scenes White House reporting moment?
1: Yeah, it's not nearly as sexy as people think that it is. Our like little briefing room is very cramped and very small. I think the best moments are just being able to go out on the South Lawn and no matter who's president, those moments where all the reporters are gathering and we're all trying to shout and get the president to engage with us. Um you do realize that's a very it's very special and very unique to the US. And of course, for the White House press, we do have an espresso machine in our area from Tom Hanks, which is one of the best things about about our little area. We have a vending machine with god knows how old those snacks are in that vending machine and then a her espresso machine.
2: I'd say my personal favorite was I attended the White House Easter egg roll, which is something they used to do before we were in pitched partisan warfare and the Easter bunny was somehow seen as evil or something. I went to that in the year 2000 and I was on the rope line as Bill Clinton was coming along and Congressman, then Congressman Mark Foley, was doing his Bill Clinton impression as the president was approaching to whoever was randomly standing there, including me. It was it was
0: really surreal. All right. That's I amazing. Was, <laughs> I guess it would be unfair of me to chime in and talk about some of my White House. No, tell me, you, were,
2: you went to the, you, Obama so the big,
0: had you to the Super Bowl, man. The, my, I'd say that was one of the top. One of my top visits to the White House was the first Super Bowl when Obama was president. He invited me. I brought my entire family. And I've got this wonderful picture of my two kids who are now more grown than they were then. They were still pretty tall. And my son Max has this like wide-eyed, wide-eyed look on his face standing next to Obama that is price, it's priceless. And I will say that the White House does lamb chops better than anybody I've ever met anywhere in the world. The White House kitchen is pretty darn great. But let's go back to politics. So (laughs) what's the White House thinking on our vice president, Kamala Harris? She's obviously a very able leader in her own right, who's had a remarkable career. She came into the vice presidency seen as a major political asset, But there's a lot of whispering and a lot of overt comments that I hear that she's not that popular. She's never, nobody knows what she's doing. Nobody ever sees her or hears from her. Nobody knows what she's doing. She's got nothing but no win jobs to do. Her political fortune has fallen. Is the White House making any effort to build her up? Given Joe Biden's age, is there any thinking about How to position her as the party backup plan? Is there any chance that they would back her if Joe Biden doesn't run? Let's take a break. We'll be right back.
1: Yeah, it's a sensitive topic. They are very defensive of her, but I think if you ask anyone in Biden's orbit, they would be lying if they told you that this didn't factor into his decision to run for re-election. I think some of the criticism of Biden has been that the White House has not done enough to build her normally The the role of vice presidency is hard, right? Your job is to be the understudy. Your job is to be number two. You want to be out there, but you don't want to be too out there and overshadow the president. So no one's denying that this is just a really delicate delicate balance and a tough dance for her. But at the same time, we've never had a president in this sort of situation where if he's 80 and it just puts a bit of, of more important emphasis on the vice president. And if he for some reason, is not able to serve out a second term, can the vice president step into those shoes? And it's on him and on her office to make sure that they're showing to the American public that that she is capable to and ready for that. And I don't think that they've done that. They've really struggled to put her in that sort of situation. And that's going to become an issue for them in the reelection. election We talked about how Republicans have had a hard time making a lot of criticisms on Biden stick. They've had a much easier time doing that with Harris. And there's obviously gender and race dynamics that play into that, but that's the reality of the situation. So I think she's going to play at the same time. She's plays an important role. She's done been really out there on issues like abortion and she can speak to certain segments of the population in the way that the president can't. So I think we're going to see her out there on the road a lot. She also can travel much easier than the president. She's she's had a more grueling travel schedule than the president has. Being a bit younger, I think that's a bit easier for her. So I think we'll see her out there from the folks that I've talked with. She wants to play an important role in 2024, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of work that they have to do in order to convince people who are understandably anxious about his age that He is putting the vice president in a situation where there could be a seamless transition of that office.
0: I'm sorry. It just reminds me that when Obama was president, we had a very young, dynamic president. And Joe Biden easily played the role of wise mentor, advisor Counselor, confidant who was often seen in pictures. There was all there were an uh, there were we were an image-driven world, and there were an awful lot of images of Joe Biden working with the president, Joe Biden advising the president. You know, there was clearly a really a bro dynamic going on. I don't know about you, but we haven't seen any of that with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. That's what I wanted to ask about.
2: That's exactly what I wanted to ask, but not to turn Lauren into a media. Critic. Oh, go ahead. No no one back at the uh, home office will ever hear about this. I mean, that, that seemed to me, Paul, I don't know if you had the same impression, but that seemed to me to be a very intentional strategy, especially early on when there were questions about Obama's kind of primetime readiness. Later, as he clearly was seen as the president, I think it became less pressing. But do you, if we all can stipulate here that there is an issue that Vice President Harris is less visible, and she's less associated with winning topics, and she's just not seen, like literally seen, as Paul, as you're alluding to, in the frame with the president constantly. Is that a lack of effort on the White House's part? Is there a failing there, that, Lauren, that you perceive? Or is this a case where sometimes, look, we love our reporters. We love them. But sometimes they get a little bit of an idea in their heads and they're subject to the same confirmation biases that the rest of us are, and they run with it. And it's they're just not giving the coverage. Like they're putting Vice President Harris forward, but she's just not. That's just not what's getting picked up. Do you, which of those do you think it is, or is it something else?
1: I think so. I mean it's a combination of the two. Um, the coverage of her, her team will point out that in the past it has been very rare for reporters to cover the vice president as closely as we are covering her. I can't even remember. I don't recall us when I was at NBC sending people to cover a Mike Pence event that frequently. But we will closely cover him. But I think there, you talk to folks in the Vice President's office. Their point is, you're covering her like a candidate. Like she never got to stop being a candidate. She never got to be Vice President. You're always, every time reporters write about her, it's in this larger context of 2024 and her political future, which is fair. We do tend to do that, but at the same time. I think, look, the buck stops at the White House, right? It is their job to make sure that they're boosting her up and that they're putting her on the best platform that they possibly can. But for them, I think they view it as a bit of a tricky dynamic too, right? Like earlier on when there was more conversation about will Biden run, will he not run? Is Harris going to run? Is she going to be the one that takes over in 2024? I think the White House felt a little sensitive to wanting to put her out there, but not wanting her to be out there too much and overshadowing the president. So now you have this situation where I just don't think a lot of the public like really knows her. And a lot of the headlines that they do see are these negative headlines about how she's just not ready for the role. And that's tough. It's, I don't try and act like this is like an easy solution for the White House or an easy thing for them to fix. To your point, Paul, I think that is interesting. We have not seen them out there a ton together. They do have lunch together most Fridays and sometimes the White House will tweet out a picture of them having lunch together, but that's about it. Yeah, so I think that is notable.
0: So let's now, I want you to take out your crystal ball and (laughs) prognosticating, your, your perfect prognosticating and tell us what are the chances that Biden doesn't run?
1: I think they are incredibly slim. If you look at everything that Jill Biden has said in countless interviews over the past few months, She's all but indicated that this is a done deal. And Biden has said himself, jail is going to be a big factor in whether or not he runs. He's talked a lot about how much these like family conversations that they're having means to him in terms of his decision-making process. So she's all but said that he's in and that he's going to do it. Now it's just like a timing game. I don't think they want to do it in this first quarter of the year, because then you have come out with your fundraising numbers and you don't want those to be lower than they could be if you wait till the second quarter. I think now it's, does it happen in April? Does it happen in June? That's the conversation that everyone's having, but I would be absolutely shocked. And I hope this, you just delete this podcast episode if he does end up not running, but I'd be shocked.
2: <laughs> that's that, that's actually a great strategy. We should go back to <laughs> all of the bad predictions. Yeah, just erase it. <laughs> exactly. that's called p-hacking in the science and give people is Anything you're working on coming up soon that you want to give us a, a sneak preview on?
1: If you check in with West Wing Playbook tonight, we are going to be talking about Biden's dance on this student loan debt and this just really tough place that the White House is in right now as they wait for the Supreme Court to figure out what they're going to do on his policy to camp student debt. He's gotten a lot of pressure from advocates saying you need to come up with a plan B and they haven't really done much. Going back to our conversation earlier about how he's tacked the middle on some of these things, such as immigration crime, I think this is another area where he just, he doesn't want to be pushed any further to the left on this, and he he already has, and it's left them in a bit of a dicey situation. So that will be in our newslet- newsletter tonight.
2: All right. So people can check out West Wing Playbook. If they want more Lauren Egan reporting in their lives, they can find you at Politico, anywhere else they should, they should check out, follow. Yeah. Yeah, you can follow me stuff. on
1: Twitter, Lauren underscore V underscore Egan. Lauren, cool.
2: Thank you so much.
1: Thank you guys. This is so fun.
2: Terrific. Thanks so much.